Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And a lot for these kids is creating a safe space for them to open up, um, you know. And so our whole point is to validate them. You know, most young people, you know, are, you know, you shut the fuck up, you know, or if you're a fuck up, you're a fuck up, you know, mom and dad, whatever, you know. But what we're teaching them is that your experience, whatever that is, good, bad and indifferent, has tremendous value. Your host of Knocking Doors Down, Jason here. Of course, I am a recovery and mental health advocate. I've struggled with my own anxiety, depression, and addiction. In turning my life around, I want to talk to others that have done positive things with their life, finding their purpose. And I'm Knocking Doors Down with Gene Bowman and Jack Bookbinder. They are the founders of the nonprofit Road Recovery. It's dedicated to helping young people battle adversities and face their struggles while teaching them comprehensive life skills. Gene has a background in being a tour manager for various performing artists, most notably the late great Jeff Buckley. And Jack's background was in artist management, and he worked with Jeff Buckley as well. Road Recovery's programs are awesome. They offer full access opportunities for young people to create, plan, present, and do their own live performance events and studio recording projects as well. They are celebrating their 25th anniversary this year, and it was a real pleasure to speak to these two gentlemen. While you're checking Knocking Doors Down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Yeah, we're, we're celebrating 25 years this year as a nonprofit, 501c3. 25 that, years, can you believe it? Fully audited. 
Yeah, <laughs> many years. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I mean, and people don't know how tough, like you know, the nonprofit industry is, and it you know, and people have a perception, and it's like, no, most of us get a very small paycheck of none at all, and we're doing it because it's something we love to do and help other people. Yeah, and also. Uh... People think, oh, you're nonprofit, so just money just comes to you, and there's, you know, you just you you put out your hand, and it just it's filled, and then there's all the Jack oversees all the administration side of of it, and you know, maintaining the status of five hundred one c three is is not easy, and it's um, you know, which is good. It's good because there's a lot of reasons why it should be uh, regulated and all, but. Um, and then also with what we found in the in 25 years is you know with with social media uh, and especially us coming from the music industry where artists have instead of giving to causes they themselves for business side of it they've created their own foundation so there's a lot more trees in the woods amongst and with social media there's there's less and less going around so it's um, that in itself has its challenges. Uh, surviving as a nonprofit, you know, let alone in the economy that we're in yeah. right now. Matched yeah. by that and COVID and, you know. Yeah, 2020 was a real deep, dark year for us, you know, when all our programs had to shut down in person. Uh, fortunately, we had um, our board chair was connected with a technology company, Cisco, and we we, we hit it with uh, the streaming, live streaming with the kids and uh, got yeah. it going. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, it was bad for me. I actually had a relapse during it. And oh, you know, wow. um, and so many did, you know, and yeah. so many did. And now we're coming out of it. And, I, and I'm guessing, you know, you, you folks there at uh, Road Recovery work with the, with the youth. I would think there would be more wanting to come to your doorstep now than ever. Yeah, interesting enough. So just to set the record, so... Um, the organization is was designed to uh, make it possible for people in our industry, from very, very famous people to those working behind the scenes, specifically in the area of live performance and in recordings, mm. who are open about their adversity. So whatever that is. So basically on the founder's side, I'm sober from drugs and alcohol addiction. I just celebrated 31 years. Um, oh, Jack... Sorry. Jack's a type two diabetic. So um, that's where both of us kind of we're working together in the industry and then having this this common connection of we both have these things that are going on in our lives. And what we found was that the, the you know, the power of we that a lot of the skills that I use to uh, to deal with staying away from active addiction, the isms in my life. Um, Jack is also able to apply a lot of the same principles in dealing with um, a chronic illness like diabetes, which in and also gave me a lot of appreciation, because as far as I'm concerned, I'll take the hand that was dealt me versus what he has to deal with on a daily basis just to make it to the office to oversee <laughs> this operation. So mm -hmm. um, so that's the that's how the organization was built, was to allow that voice from our industry of people, whatever issue they've been through, to be able to give back and work with at-risk youth, um, utilizing their personal life uh, 
lessons and learned and, and adversities they've overcome and the solutions that they live in match with the God-given talents that they, they have in, in the areas of creativity. Um, and to your point about, interesting enough, so even in the wake of an opiate uh, crisis in our country, you know, COVID really, uh, um, people, people would usually would say to us, oh, you must have had a lot of, you know, kids dealing with drugs and alcohol. Actually, you know, I think the, at the tip of the iceberg is really was anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. um, and we work with the gamut of humanity from uh, youth that are living in um, rural poverty, a lot of poverty to all the way to inner city urban gang violence um, and everything in between. So um, that, you know, depression, anxiety, obviously is a, a launch pad for using stuff to try to, to, to deal with that. Um, but in terms of like out and out, um, you know, using, seeking drugs at the forefront. Um, interesting enough, like that wasn't the primary that we found um, with with a lot of the youth. It comes part and parcel, right? But um, interesting enough, like I think the 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 overwhelming the the you know the the fact that our entire society stopped because of COVID really created this this place where you know anxiety, depression, those things really were at the forefront, which was so apparent that um, it wasn't too difficult for young people to just sort of identify what the heck is going on, uh, specifically because they were dealing in, what were they, they were in a box, they were in isolation. Yeah. And that's yeah. where we, the glass is half full, the lemons turned into lemonade for us, because what we were able to do, um, which is obviously the work we do is is driven by in person and hands on, but because of the support of technology, um, which went from Cisco WebEx to now Zoom, um, and because of a lot of the staff that we have with Road Recovery, also we have a whole a whole bunch of engineers, you know, mm -hmm. technically savvy music industry people both musician side of it, but also just straight ahead engineers, recording studio engineers, live, live sound engineers. We're able to, uh, to get inside the, the mechanics of these platforms and tweak them uh, so that we could actually, they could actually work better for us when translating creative content uh, and working with youth, whether it's through instrumentation or sending beats back and forth or whatever, but um, using this, of really tweaking the technology to make it more useful for us. Um, yeah. Which again, we went from kids being in their homes, um, which was a whole other uh, ball of something uh, adventure <laughs> that came about because we, you know, a lot of kids at first wouldn't put on their cameras. A lot of that was trust. Cause it's, you know, this is sort of this artificial kind of reality we're working in. But what we also discovered out of it was some of these kids were living in such poverty or they were they wouldn't turn their microphones on. And we discovered there were kids living in, in abusive households, yep. um, which then, uh, you know, by building these relationships with them, this stuff started to come out, which then um, because we we don't work on an island. So all of the organization always attaches itself to um to resources, whether it's wherever we're partnering our programs, 
so that, um, you know, we, we are very much stay in our lane. We are not a treatment program. We're an adjunct where we work in tandem uh, in collaboration and partnership with those who are resources that can help uh, young people. So we stay in our lane. We don't say we're, you know, we're not a pig, yet we smell like a pig and look like a pig. <laughs> so, you know, we all stay in our lane. You know, for me, I'm a, you know, there's only one drug addict and alcoholic in the world, and that's me. And, you know, and your business is your business. If I can help you, great. Right. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to diagnose you. I'm not here to treat you. I'm here to, to, you know, to work from my position of I and the same with Jack and everyone else. So, um, so that's where the, the, you know, we, we built this model 25 years ago with the understanding that um, the sort of the, the philosophy of serve them the meat and slip them the vegetables. So the meat is the attraction to access for these young people to the entertainment industry um, to work with people who make their profession is. Um, and then in that, we're not an arts program. We're not teaching Kumbaya. We're, we're here to teach um, communication skills, coping skills and life skills. That's really what's in the stew, um, mm-hmm. uh, in the work that we do with the young people. So in the case of um, the issues that have come up or issues that come up, whether they're just a bad day or some very severe issues, you know, we have resources at our disposal immediately to uh, to work with the young people to find solutions to whatever they're dealing with, whether they don't have any food, they need clothing to social services, to uh, interventions toward, um, you know, medical treatment of any kind or educational treatment. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Jack, let me ask you a question. I've not on this platform spoke with anyone with type 2 diabetes. How did... How has that translated for you in being helpful to other people because like like gene was mentioning this this is a a daily struggle i mean gene i don't know i might get up in the morning i say my serenity prayer i do some breath work i do some other things to keep myself from turning back to the bottle but you know uh, gene i mean you know jack this is this is in you man yeah exactly it's, it's something of a different nature altogether Yes, when Road Recovery was founded back in 1998, I was not uh, a diabetic. I was a borderline diabetic. Um, People in my family had it, and I had to be careful, right? Right. But I've also uh, was living a life in the music business, and uh, you know that's babysitting artists, (laughs) (laughs) as you know. A couple uh, gone out on the road once in a while, and uh, you know not not really concentrating as much on diet, you know. Um, so what happened is we, we partnered with a, um, with another treatment, um, 
substance abuse treatment organization, and uh, we would have a program in their basement. Always, our programs are always in the basement, and um, I would wait until the first part of the road recovery programming would end, and mm. that's the peer support meeting where everybody shares their ups and downs. Um, and I would wait by the door and I'd hear, you know, like, uh, almost like this chanting going on in the end. And then sometimes I peek through the door, uh, the keyhole, I see people like holding each other in a, in a circle. And it was just very like, oh my God, oh my God. Right. Uh, and then unfortunately, uh, was visiting, um, uh, someone who soon became my wife overseas, um, crazy fun vacation, but, uh, you know, not thinking about diet. And when I came back. Uh, my my primary doctor said, oh, my, you have over 10.0 A1C, you're fully, you know, diabetic, mm -hmm. and you're, you're going to go down, you know, it really scared me. So I think I went on this crash diet for the first couple months, two, three months. And then Gene made a suggestion. He's like, Jack, why don't, why don't you come on into the peer support meeting? And I was like, oh, no, you know, I'm not <laughs> in recovery and all that stuff. Uh, but Gene's like, just just listen. You know, sometimes that's that's what he suggests. Just listen. And uh, that's what I did. I listened. And then I started kind of figuring out how you share to the other young people and staff members in the peer support meeting. And uh, more and more, I, I kind of got honest with myself because I, I was going internally, I was going through a turbulent moment, you know, because um, it, it, when you get diabetes, it really, you really have to change so many people, places and things that you do. Mm -hmm. um, and the more I would share about my own adversities, kids who are primarily in recovery from substance misuse, um, they were hearing it and they were giving me feedback as well and suggestions. And wow, could you believe like a started road recovery with Gene, you know, didn't have the adversity of diabetes. And then in the end over, you know, now I'm like 18 years diabetic, uh, it, it saved me, right? Yeah. Because I'm constantly making decisions on, you know, am I gonna, what I'm gonna eat, meal plan, am I gonna shoot the insulin or not? You know, like, you know, I gotta tough it out, right? Um, and then of course, you know, lowering stress and, you know, they're like, gotta sleep. There's so many things you have to do to keep on that tightrope. I don't wanna fall off the tightrope. Uh, I fell off once, uh, was it, uh, two Decembers ago and I almost, I almost died. Wow. So, um, you know, it, it really happens quick. Um, but I think road recovery has saved my life, you know, cause I have, I have to show up. That's what Gene always says. You got to show up for the kids. You got to be present. Yeah. And, uh, for the amount of work we're doing during the entire state of New York with uh, youth programming, you know, I certainly have to do my part to, to keep the, the, the ship rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing interesting, um, the reason why um, road recovery is open to dealing with, as far as our staff, any and all adversities, because it's it levels the playing field. So for so for the population of kids that Jack was talking about, they were specifically kids that were in an outpatient program coming from specific. Um, obviously other issues, but uh, primary drug and alcohol addiction. So they were in early recovery out of an inpatient setting. So what, what they started to report to us is that unbeknownst to them, looking at Jack, wow, Jack looks like he's got a normal, happy life. And then started to understand what goes on in the life of someone with diabetes, 
which then they started to say, well, maybe the grass is kind of green on my side because God, what he's got to deal with on every day so he doesn't lose a limb. Um, and that the other, the other message was don't judge a book by its cover because you could be passing someone anywhere that's a cancer survivor. Yeah. You know, you don't know. We all, and the fact is that none of us is free of something. We all, we all come to the table in this thing called uh, being human beings with, with great stuff, but we also have, you know, adversities that we have to deal with. Um, you know, interesting enough for me, I'm 59. I'm in good shape. I ride my bicycle every day, you know, but I also, you know, um, I should have died from my addiction from um, back then, both people, places and things that I put myself in. So, you know, being sober 31 years, you know, I, I cherish this gift of life. And um, so, of course, with change in bio in, in my metabolism, you know, looking at, you know, what I'm putting into my system. I, I take a tip from Jack. When I go into the supermarkets, I don't go down the cookie aisles. Like I don't go down <laughs> because basically. Come I on, that's the funnest aisle. It's tough. I know, but I don't know about you, but what I've, what I've come to learn is that when sugar, and there's a study that just came out of Princeton, this, this scientist had this, uh, had this idea that there's a direct connection between sugar and addiction, whether it's heroin, heroin, specifically heroin, they've tied the two together, the dependency and the detox. So I've realized like, if I have one, one is too many, a thousand over and over, yeah. you know, one Oreo cookie is the whole pack, you know, and it's just like that. So I've taken a tip from him where I just don't go down those aisles. You know, yeah. I just don't. If I go down the cookie aisle, I'm, you know, I'm only torturing myself. Just like if I go down the liquor aisle or I go, you know, so, um, you know, all of this is applicable. You know, we can all learn from that. That's the message is we all have our own tricks to how to live this. We're, you know, a happy, balanced, joyful life where we're trying to achieve here. So we can all learn from each other, no matter what we're all dealing with. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, and when I talk to a lot of young people, I do speak at some schools around here, share my story a little bit, and then just have conversations with them on addiction and mental health and whatever issues they're facing that I, you know, like I say to them, you guys are being bombarded with a bunch of shit that, you know, 20, geez, how old am I? 26, seven years ago of high school or whatever, whenever I graduated, I wasn't faced with similar, but I wasn't faced with, you know, and I often state in different words, but the people, place, and places and things, those that you have around you, you know, your your places, your community, all that, whom you're choosing, and then the things, what you're going after, what you participate in, you know, your attitude towards other people. Um, and I don't know about with you, with young people, sometimes it's hard to go, wait a minute, I'm not the only person in existence right now. Well, no. And if you can get outside yourself, you're <laughs> going to be a little bit better off. But the but for sure I see that commonality no matter what for a a good healthy foundation of life your people your places and your things absolutely okay. yeah I mean adolescence is all about sucking your thumb you know it's that's yeah. that's the the role of us as parents or as you know it takes a village is to help them get out of that self centeredness to to navigate to become these productive members of society and think outside just beyond you know what I want, what I need, you know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, Eventually which we is, get there. Which is repetitive. That's with us. It's, you know, their brains, you know, scientifically their brains aren't developed. So, you know, you got to repeat, 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 you know, it's a lot of, 
a lot of trust the process and being patient, you know, but well, with structure, you know. And I and I think that I mean it's hard for anyone. I mean we see it now with with adults in abundance, and and I'm I'm thankful. I don't know about Eugene. I'm a twelve step guy. I think it should be taught in every high school. It doesn't have to be, you know, as far as this is if you fall to addiction, it might look like and like, no, this is a good foundation of stuff here. And so for me, it, it's important to get out of my way and remember, hey, if I give it away, oddly stuff comes back. And and Absolutely. I find that's the hardest thing to kind of connect with kids. Like, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, yes, some people might judge you're going to find that one person that doesn't. And that's, that's a genuine, authentic connection. Absolutely. You know, and that's where, for us, that's where, that's the stepping off point is we have people from our industry are open about that. And when one person is open in the conversation and create a safe environment that I'm willing to share, you know, my struggles and my solutions, all of a sudden it just, it's over time, you know, you build, it's building trust, you know, and, um, and that doesn't come, instantaneously but you know we worked with kids who in the uh in the judicial system where they have no trust in anyone we spent mm -hmm. four months just eating pizza with them that's it we didn't do anything else in our program just sat and ate pizza with them week after week and it's really at the end of the day it's which is our mantra is just show up just being present is everything after that it's all gravy and cherries on top but it's really just consistency showing up walk the walk it's the action that that creates that place where kids are going to start to open up and you're going to start to be able to see what's going on and and help them yeah well and i i think you and i applaud you and you everyone on the the road recovery team for that because i see it so often with young people they've you know as you're mentioning that might be some of those young people you work with that their home is a terrible place their school is a terrible place and then right. they're getting involved with legal issues a terrible place like they've never had any institution that has shown them that they can trust an adult in any way shape or form and, right. And, right. and and that trauma to carry you know is tough sometimes you know their nervous system so freaking activated that yeah, giving them just the time to sit down with someone and have pizza. I mean, what an amazing reprieve. Something that a lot of us just take for granted. Right, right. And the and a lot for these kids is creating a safe space for them to open up. Um, you know, and so our whole point is to validate them. Hmm. You know, most young people, you know, are, you know, you shut the fuck up, you know, or if you're a fuck up, you're a fuck up, you know, mom and dad, whatever, you know, but what we're teaching them is that your experience, whatever that is, good, bad, and indifferent, has tremendous value. And we want to let's create that so that we can take that message or you can take that message and we can present it to your community. So that sort of ripple effect. So we're validating them as, as humans, validating their message as important and saying to them that really it's you that are going to save each other's ass here. You know, we're... Yeah. You know, we're Charlie Brown parent. We're wah, 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 wah. <laughs> but your message collectively as young people and what we're going to do is help you organize it in a way and um, and basic and create it or help you shape it into something that 
is outstanding, is of, of the caliber of, of our industry standard. And then we're going to give you a platform to present it on, which is state of the art in terms of if it's a live performance and, and point to you as your experience that you can share both. You have a, you have a place to speak about it but you also have this piece of art that you've created about it to share with your community and mm -hmm. speak to your community. Um, and that's a lot of it is, you know, all, boil all this down, Jason. And what is it? It's just love. It's all yeah. it is. This is not rocket science. This is nothing. This is the human connection. This is what this is. Yeah. We connect, uh, you know, we care. As you gentlemen know that, I, you know, like, for instance, opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's community. And my firm belief is, is aligned with yours that the only way we're going to get out of this, uh, you know, the opioid crisis, the fentanyl crisis with the youth, uh, mental health issues. I mean, we could go on and on as we're going to have to love ourselves the way out of it. That's the yeah. only way. It's the only freaking way. And solution. And solution. You got, you know, we deal with kids that are, you know, dealing with gangs and it's like well why not the, the gang is is providing a family providing a community right and mm -hmm. you got to give them something that outweighs that you got to give them opportunities or or show that they have value that there's there's another way because the odds like you said between the the devices and and that re false reality right and the pressures of society global yeah. warming you know um can, there's no 401k plan. There's no whatever. There's no longevity. What are you going to do as far as a career? You got all that working against you. You got to be able to show them that they have value and that, look, we could do something together. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a rough world for these kids. It's a rough, rough world. It, it really is. And, and, and sometimes disheartening to just speak with some that see that they just have this belief they've attached themselves to the story about themselves that there is no purpose for them right whatsoever and and i don't think there's anything well there's things more heartbreaking potentially but that's just incredibly heartbreaking to me to see a young person that just just sees no intrinsic value in themselves right absolutely and it's and it's, and it's getting more and more and more. And like you said, social media, a great one. I don't know how you, you know, you and the staff talk about that. I try to let these kids know when I talk there, a lot of what you're watching is not reality. Don't compare right. your insides to other people's outsides or false appearances. Exactly. Yeah. We try to kind of reshape the use of social media at Road mm -hmm. Recovery. We, because uh, we're working with these youth clubhouses around the whole state. They're doing all these workshops every week and what three, four times a week, we're posting the outcomes, the creative outcomes or um, work, in progress. work in progress of these kids in social media. And we're tagging them if they want to be tagged. And they're like, whoa, we're on their social media. And, you know, just it really shows them that they're part of a bigger collective. And then um, when we get to the end of the season and then we do the big uh production on the big stage, sound, stage, and lights for them. Um, it's sometimes they only figure out what they're involved in after they go through the, the final performance, which is, sure. which is incredible. They're like, oh, now I get it. And then they can't wait for the next cycle, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we're very big on social media, but trying to show the output. That's, 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 that's the hope. 
I, I just had a brilliant comedian on Josh Johnson. I don't know if you guys have heard of, heard of him. Amazing special on Peacock, uh, uh, up here killing myself. But he also did another stand up. He's talking about the internet and, and social media, and he's like, it can be a really bright place or a really evil place, and and it's tough with these kids to sometimes, you know have a conversation of distinction about that. Absolutely. It's yeah. like, okay, I get it. Maybe you want to follow this person because there's something inspirational there, but, but it's okay. If you aren't them, you, you are the only you and getting that across is, is like hitting your head with a fucking hammer sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know? exactly. Yeah. Like, like, no, I want to be that per. No, no, you're you. It's okay. Right, be right. You. Yeah. You know, yeah, okay. right, you should right. be comfortable with that. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's just a tough world. Uh, again, I don't, I don't envy it. But uh, I want to jump back, if you don't mind. I had a twenty-year radio career, so I'm a music industry dude, and uh, I love it. But I got to kind of know. I mean, you gentlemen both worked with some really interesting people throughout your careers. Did you ever perceive that this is where you would have headed? Uh, no. I, you know, I, I grew up. It was live music you know, from the age of 10 and I chased it. And that was the thing that, you know, calmed the voices in my head was being around it and found my way to the backstage door and then a roadie to becoming a tour manager. And I just, I love nuts and bolts and I love, you know, the chaos of all the variables of what you entail. Uh, and so I just, I thought that's, this is, you know, I'm home, this is it. Um, but, you know, drugs and alcohol played a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And um, it really came down to me being 28 and um, going from tour managing and run, you know, rising through the ranks from a roadie to a tour manager to my addiction took me to working for the stage union, turning a wrench, um, building stages, at, you know, and all my friends who were on those arena tours are wondering, what are you doing? You know, and that was the half step away from me dying. So uh, when it came to change uh, and, you know, thanks to the help of friends and stuff that were around me, you know, I, I gave myself over to the white coats that, you know, my best thing, it was no blame game. I was 28. I knew I was going to die somehow, some whatever part of me wanted to probably because it'd be a lot easier if it just by mistake. But, um, you know, that's all I knew when I was 10 years old yeah. and, um, so I gave myself over to the white coats and they told me I was done with the music business. And I said, okay. And I followed the, the treatment plan for the first um, couple of years. And then Jack and I had, we actually both went to NYU, but we never saw each other at NYU, but there was a professor at NYU who worked for RCA and such. And he connected us. And at that point, um, this is back in, around eight, 19, late eighties. So I had been working from the early eighties with some of the Bay area musicians, offshoot bands from the Jefferson airplane and hot tuna and wow. Papa John Creech. So that whole psychedelic scene. And Jack was working with Greg Allman, managing Greg Allman, and then helped put together the Allman brother reunion in 89. Anyway, that brought us together to working together with, um, with Greg um and such that, that back in 1990 jack's a manager um and then you're working on that where i was on the road and he was in the office uh managing and then i crashed and burned in 92 i got sober walked away from the business 
And then Jack started, uh, got a hold of me in 93. I was working in the classical world. I, I, you know, you get out of your own way and things, things all, you know, somehow it all works out. Right. So I had, um, I got offered a job to work for the largest classical management company in, in the world, Columbia Artist Management, to do tour logistics for all the major symphonies and ballets. But I didn't have to go out and execute the tours. I just put all of it together, handed it to a tour manager, which worked perfectly because it didn't get in the way of my aftercare, my therapy. It was like, wow. But along that line, so this is now late 93, Jack finds me and says, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, since we last worked together, I got sober. I'm working in the classical world don't really like it. It's kind of boring. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and Jack at that point had just signed Jeff Buckley and he can yeah, tell a story wow. from there. So that, that brought us back together. Um, it, he was the best tour manager. He wouldn't pinch your artist, you know, take your way. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing you had to worry about, but I want to make it clear. I was part of a management team, right. you know, and we all had our NYU roots, uh, NYU music business technology program is what I came out of. And uh, work for a few different uh, internships, uh, Warner Chapel, and work for Talking Heads Management. And, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to get into management, but wanted to do kind of boutique management. And then the chance to work with Gregory. They called him the Big A. And there was this opportunity to get all my brothers' band back together, you know, the Seven Turns Tour. And uh, so I learned all about touring and got to work with Gene. Gene was hired to be just with Gregory, right? And then um, another big management company managed the other guys. And uh, that, that was a great experience. Um, but then we lost Gene for a couple of years, you know? Right. Um, and then I remember, well, I won't go into details, but um, we're, we're managing uh, Greg Ullman, Ronnie Spector, a lot of things happened with them. And we said, you know what, let's this alternative music was really on the rise. Sure. Uh, I myself was in an alternative rock band in, in, in downtown New York at the time and really into the scene. And this opportunity to work with such a talent, Jeff Buckley. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. The, the, the vocal ability, the songwriting, the guitar, the whole package, right? And he was such a nice guy. <laughs> and so uh, very special. And we wanted to get the A-team together. And I uh, just got big contract with Columbia Records. And uh, that's when we uh, decided to, 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 to manage him. Uh, and uh, that was a two and a half year tour and campaign for Grace. Grace was his big uh, debut full length album, much yeah. more popular in England and France and Australia. U.S. not so big, but uh, he, he was definitely considered like one of the artist that was going to be a legacy for Columbia, you know, sure. much like Springsteen and Barbara Streisand. They looked at him in that sort of lens. Uh, fast forward to 1997 uh, when he was trying to write the next album. And then he had this tragic accidental drowning yeah. uh, on the Wolf River off of the Mississippi River. Um, got the call from Gene. I was in New York and uh, was uh, talking with the other management team partners and, and, and overseas. It was just like the worst thing ever. Uh, and the worst thing I say, not because I lost uh, the client, it's because I lost a friend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's so full of life. Um, but I can under, we know how he was, right? Yeah. We know he wouldn't uh, smell the roses, he'd eat the roses, right? <laughs> he saw that beautiful, you know, summer night coming up uh, and he wanted to take a swim, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Unfortunately, tourists would go into that 
area, the Wolf River, and uh, they didn't understand the, the tides and everything could pull you down. So somebody was, was accidentally drowning every year. And when that happened, just devastated all of us, you know, and I, I needed that summer to, of 97 to kind of figure out, wow, what, what am I going to do? Because um, it's so devastating. Um, then um, one thing that I know your show gets into is purpose, purposefulness in your yes. life. Absolutely. Um, my father was a longtime journalist and a senior editor for major New York paper. And um, he instilled in me this uh, feeling like, yeah, you want to give back. You want to do some service. Shouldn't have this self-serving life, you know. And uh, he championed all sorts of causes in the press uh, and uh, righted a lot of wrongs, I feel. And, uh, you know, Gene came back, uh, I came back from Europe and I had this very uh, memorable meeting with you on the, on the balcony of our old uh, office. And Gene's like, I want to work with you. I want to, you know, pursue road recovery. I just want to do it with you, you know, even if it means leaving everything we have right now with the old management company. And I said, heck yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we, we figured that out, you know, purposefulness, that, that, that was really uh, the, the driver. And we knew it was going to take years and years of like, you know, no pay. No, we didn't do media interviews for like the first 10 years. We just did like a bunch of shows those first two years. Um, many artists in recovery on the stage. Um, they were standing room only shows. People would be out on, uh, uh, on Stanton Street, right? Remember the big lines trying to get into our shows. Um, but then soon after that, we got into more uh, program focus, you know, working mm -hmm. after school and workshops with kids, uh, one first with the foster care agency. So that, that's sort of the early game plan. Uh, we didn't give up music management. In, in, in fact, we still have a, a, a for-profit company that we keep for consulting and such um, and continued some management. But Really, um, there's so much going on with Road Recovery Foundation, especially in the most recent years, being the statewide representative for after school programming with all these youth clubhouses that it's just uh, it's beyond our wildest dreams. You know, and it, it's just uh, you want to keep it going, keep, keep keep it going. It's tough running a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, well, I know all I'm not I don't run it, but of course we are aligned with the Carlos Vieira Foundation, the gentleman that. Uh, it helped me launch the podcast. And yeah, one of our biggest programs is the after school one, giving the kids free places to go. As we know that that time after school is the easiest time to go and, and to get in trouble. And especially, you know, I mean, gangs are everywhere, you know, and of course we, where we're at, it's primarily for the most part, Hispanic gangs. But as we have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, migrant workers and stuff in this area. But I want to jump back to something, Gene, where you were talking about gangs and where people have asked me, like, I don't get it. I'm like, I do. And I, what yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, well, so these kids aren't participating in sports, let's assume, right? No, probably not. Okay. Well, but if you did, what did what would you wear? Well, a uniform. Right. So you look like everybody else and that you're on a team. Right. What did gangs usually do? They use right. the same colors, the same kind of clothing. They know and they feel a sense of belonging and a sense of belonging quite often gives us purpose. So unless we're shifting and maybe doing some brain rewiring here to show them there's a better way to fill a sense of purpose, you know, I think we're going to continue to butt up against so much of this stuff. And also the economics. Uh, yeah. Um, 
So you've got a kid in in a, in a, in an area, and what opportunities you know if with school, maybe education is maybe they're a single household parent household trying to make ends meet, multiple siblings. Well, I can go work for McDonald's for whatever, or I can go be a part of this and bring in a lot of money. And conversations we've had with young people, it's like, well, I'd rather have the this, and yeah, maybe I only live to be eighteen. Maybe I die, but what I'd rather do this and I'm providing for my family in, in, and look what I'm getting. So give me something that's, you know, that's an alternative to this. That makes sense. Yeah. That's what well, you got to offer. And that's what we're trying to do is, is provide them with something that's greater. Of One of the things that we didn't understand early on. So, um, are, you know, a lot of the young people, we, you know, they, you know, it's one thing if you're in a controlled environment like an institution, right? But then, you, then you know, I was 28 when I got clean. So change people, place, and thing. All right, that was challenging, but I was an adult, right? But for young people, it's impossible. They got to go back to their schools, their neighborhoods, everything like that. We had no idea, but what our youth started telling us was that they were able to get out of sticky situations when a friend would show up or, or there would be a group of people and they they hand them a a join or they'd say, let's go rob that bodega. They would say, well, if I do that, I can't go to road recovery. And what's going on at road recovery might be while I'm in the studio and I'm recording a song or a lot of the youth will write songs with an artist in mind. And that artist will, will then guest on their, their track. Um, Or James Hetfield from Metallica is a big supporter. So Metallica comes through, he invites the kids come and they spend not not it's not a handshake it's like an hour two hours with him talking about life talking about what's going on so what the youth started to tell us is that when they could say to their friends if i get high with you or i engage in that i can't go to road recovery and i can't do these things and what they told us was that then the the tables got turned because their friends were like oh that's cool they didn't pressure them and then in some cases their friends were like well i want to be a part of that and then they were they say well you can't be getting high and coming to this. So you got to change. And we didn't realize that if you give them opportunities that outweigh the peer pressure, that's how they're going to be able to survive in these toxic environments and get out of those hard situations and have the respect of their friends and, and be able to navigate these waters to get traction, you know, toward you know, with these new coping skills that they're learning or whatever the change, this radical change that they've had to undergo. Now they have a pathway in which to do it. They've got their friends supporting them. And then when we would do these celebrations, their friends would show up and there, there would be the wow factor. Like, wow, it's so cool to hear what you created and see it on stage and all that. Yeah. And that's the difference. You can sit on a couch and talk, but unless there's an action behind it, it's bullshit. And with young people, if you don't engage them in the first 30 seconds, mm-hmm. they're gone. Yep. They're gone. Yeah. But it, but what we found is if you engage them and you show up each week and you teach them that and you hold them accountable, they want structure. They want to get their ass kicked. They want to know because that tells that message to them is you have value that we care about you. That's why we're wondering where the fuck are you? You're late. You know, that's why we're in. And if you can provide that, they're they will they're unstoppable. I mean, we've been doing this for 25 years, and I can't tell you, you know, if you have faith in them and you and you show up for them, they will show up because in the end, they're not gonna fail themselves. 
That's the thing. Once they feel that within themselves, they're going to show up for themselves. And of course, everything else goes with it. But when they own it, if you if they take ownership of it, that's it. That's the game changer right there. Yeah, I love it, man. That's too awesome. Kind of reminds me, I don't know if you guys have ever heard about the uh, Rat Park experiment. No. No? And so back in the day, especially when it came to addiction, so, you know, as always testing on rats because of similar geneology or whatever it was. So they would, they would put, uh, you know, one rat in a cage and give them regular water. The other one would have cocaine. In it. And, of course, the one that had cocaine, that rat would keep going, going and die. And they went, oh, there you go. It's just... You know, it's just there. It is. That's that's how addiction works. And then there was an, another experiment came along that went, hmm, that doesn't sound right because they're in isolation. So they got a bunch of rats and initially just started with the cocaine water, and then eventually they put regular water and wheels and let them all intermingle. So they had rats to you know cohabitate with, have sex, the whole thing, jump on wheels, everything else, and eventually they all stopped going to the cocaine water because they had connectivity, purpose, community, food, shelter, you know, all these inherent things that are people are fighting over that. that, uh, I just don't get it. You know, the other day I, uh, I help out this, this homeless gentleman who's an addict in in my area. And uh, it it flashed me back to when I was a kid, like, why don't they just get a job or something? And it's like, (laughs) it's like, yeah, because their resume is really in order. You know, it's like, come on here. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think it's really great what you gentlemen are doing. And that, um, boy, if I if I lived in New York, I'd be coming to, to volunteer my time. I think it's just beautiful what you're doing. Well, hopefully 25 years, you know, we built this the slow, arduous way, like a bluegrass band out of the back of a, of a <laughs> trunk of a car. So, you know, we're now we, there's a, a whole bunch of research that the uh, through our grants with the U.S. Department of Justice and National Mentor Resource at NYU, UConn and National Mentor Resource are, are, are doing a three year study on us. And we're hoping that this is going to be the breakout year because a lot of the folks that are involved with us for the last 25 years reside in in California in the LA area you know it's just you know it's LA Nashville and New York and there's a lot of folks that are um you know our allies and and we're you know supporters out there so we're hoping that this year and what it'll yield in the 25 years and the recognition and such and what we're trying to build that we can plant a stake out there so awesome I hope so. I hope so. We need more more like uh, programs like you folks are doing. That is for sure. Well, gentlemen, uh, we I usually wrap up with some some final words and some random questions. But if you guys want to tell people about road to uh, road recovery, um, you know what, how to find out about you guys, maybe get involved, donations. Uh, where can they go? Sure. Um, our website roadrecovery.org. There is a get involved tab. So it has a list of seven, eight things, volunteer time, make a donation. Swag <laughs> items. Yeah. Donate Simple swag stuff. items. Like us on social media, you know, everything from write a massive check all the way to just like <laughs> us on social media. Spread the word. <laughs> and we are very active on social media. Instagram is at road underscore recovery. And then Facebook and Twitter is at road recovery. Uh, we also have a great YouTube page, uh, youtube.com forward slash road recovery. 
we film most all of these uh, finales that the kids we are we surfacing now at the youth clubhouses uh, present. Uh, so we live stream them and it's archived on the website uh, along with a lot of our uh, celebrity engagement. Um, we do, uh, as Gene mentioned, we've done some uh, song collaborations, members of Duran Duran, uh, Tom Morello did a song with us, wow. uh, Slash did a couple great songs. So we have videos for all that uh, and many, many more. Uh, so uh, yeah, we encourage people to check us out online. Absolutely. You, you got to tell me that Darren McDaniel got involved. I mean, he's on the board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. He's talks, he shows up for everything. Mention, yeah. hey, Daryl, we're doing something with the kids. Where? Tell me where. And he shows up in his pickup truck. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be speaking with him soon. So as a kid that grew up on Run DMC, that's going to be like one of those. OK, I'm talking to Run DMC. Uh, man, he's he the is. man. Uh, all right, guys, these are just kind of for fun. Uh, some random questions, of course, is always brought to you by my sponsor, 5150 LTM. Couldn't do the podcast without them. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. If you could have dinner with any one person, living or not, who would it be? That's so easy. Oh, zeroes down. John F. Kennedy. Really? Why? Because I have been investigating his assassination far earlier than the creation of Road Recovery. And every kid that pretty much comes through Road Recovery gets quizzed, you know, who do you think did it? So <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a little side project. And I even got married in Minsk. You know, wow. where uh, Oswald married Marina, you know, yeah. how many shooters? Oh, I, I don't want to. How many shooters? I don't want to. I don't want to admit anything. I'm in a public forum. They're watching me. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I got married at Minsk right where uh, Marina and uh, Lee Harvey Oswald got got married. And I was in the Zags office. And I remember very quickly uh, saying, you know, to my wife, who's Belarusian, you know, oh, I'd love to get back there in the files and, and see the fingerprints, you know, cause there's always a second Oswald, you know, but right. she's like, Oh no, please don't, you know, <laughs> they may not allow the marriage, you know? So that's uh, how crazy I get. So I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm having dinner with JFK. No, Jack, don't apologize. Actually, I could probably have a total one hour, two hour conversation with that's the stuff that fascinates me. Lots of people. You're uh, a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, how many things though have I said that seem to turn out right? You know, like I don't oh, get, yeah. I'm not like tinfoil hat <laughs> crazy about it, but a lot of it's like, come on, some of this stuff is common sense, guys. Let's, you know, let's not just say, you know, the media and government would never lie to us. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> right. Remember, what can you do for your country? Right. So, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. What about you, Gene? Who would you have? I uh, just, you know, we're at, I guess, the, the one who comes to mind because I'm really in the thick of we're in a, we're trying to expand and, and fundraises. Uh, I, I love Mother Teresa. Oh, and the nice. reason what I love about Mother Teresa was they when she won the Nobel Peace Prize, which she would not accept. But when they told her you're going to get like two hundred fifty thousand dollars, she said, I'll accept it. That was the only reason. 
And when they asked her, when all these world figures came to her and said, how do you do it? How do you change the world? She said, it's simple. You walk out your front door, you pick up the first body. That's how you change the world. And then you do the next body after that. And the other thing is that this little peanut was an ass kicker. And she got the, the, the leaders of the world to pony up to get behind what she was doing. And she had them, you know, kissing her ass up and down about, uh, you know, and I would just like the but the humility and the and yeah. she was so true to her mission and stuff. So in this, I, I believe in a higher power. And, and so, uh, you know, I, uh, a lot of the work we do, we, we I stay in a place of desperation. And what I've learned in my recovery from drug and alcohol addiction is it's the most beautiful place to be because when you're in desperation, that means you're open to hearing the information that you need to hear. So uh, as, as many times that we have found where you feel like you're out in the desert and no one's listening or you, you, things aren't happening or the whole, the whole thing is going to collapse because, you know, we, we don't have the means to do it. And it's always at that place of desperation where the answer comes. So uh, we're sort of in this place of 25 years. There's so much potential, but we're running this thing and we're not getting any younger and needing help and asking for help. And so that's, that's why she's on my mind. Like I'm talking to her lately, like, you know, give me some inspiration, give me some help here. So. Ah, I love it. I love them both. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the last song that you listened to on purpose that you personally picked to listen to. Oh, um, I put on the other morning. I'm a big Zappa fan. Uh, that was one of the main connections with, when Jeff and I met. He was a massive Zappa fan. And um, I put on the other day just to kind of get centered. You know, Zappa's stuff is, you know, you know, uh, commentary on society and everything like else. He was always telling the truth. But um, there's a beautiful song on Joe's Garage, uh, an instrumental, which is really uh very different from what zappa ever did um and um easter morning easter uh easter easter egg and easter hay or something like that it's a beautiful beautiful instrumental so i put that on the other day because i just needed to i needed frank and i needed to uh i needed to hear that because it's just an absolutely beautiful melody solo guitar thing that he added at that time so that's what i was listening to yesterday morning starting my I'm day I'm going to write that down. I can't recollect. On Joe's that. Garage. Uh, okay. It sort I... of ends the record. And it starts off, there's a commentary throughout Joe's Garage. One of my favorite words is fuck. And it, <laughs> it begins by him doing this little commentary, and he says the word fuck, and then it goes into this beautiful song. So what are you listening to? Well, I, I was going to say uh, Pink Floyd because 50th anniversary, Dark Side of the Moon. Sure. But technically, the last song I purposely listened to was Better Together. Oh, Better oh. Together is a song that Gene uh, worked with our staff and got um, different kids from all these clubhouses we're working with to come to New York City and record uh, a, a song that one of our staff members wrote and kids were you know many of them never been in the recording studio before yeah and they uh they did the chorus maybe uh hand clap you know just just something that you know they can hear themselves on the recording and it's a really terrific song it's called better together we're going to release it uh probably in the late spring uh we we go on spotify and 
uh, iTunes, Amazon, and I, I just, uh, we, we have a video that was shot for it, showing the whole experience. And uh, like Gene was saying, it's just, you know, uh, give them a project to work towards. And this was one of the few unifying uh, projects where all sorts of different kids can get involved. Um, I can't say the foundation that supported it, but definitely headed by a, a very popular musician. And we're extremely thankful for this opportunity. Wow. So look out for Better Together. That's awesome. I love it. I was going to ask next favorite curse word, but Gene, you've already made that pretty clear. So uh, what about you, Jack? I don't know. Not, I, I mean, I know I cursed at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I guess in, in, in the early days when I was uh, dating a French girl, I used to say "merd." Oh, you know, I was trying to get out of you know saying it in English. So, <laughs> well, I know my... what it means. So, uh, <laughs> even though my last name is French, my French isn't that good, but I do know that word, right? <laughs> Je comprends. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, what's another fun one? I like? uh, last random question: uh, If you could have any one superpower, what would it be, and why? Oh. Balance. <laughs> Balance. <laughs> uh, okay. Come on, G. You can't say balance is for a superpower and not not elaborate on that. Uh, and I don't mean balance on the trapeze or whatever. I mean balance in life. Just, just you know, you know, you're you're talking to someone who got this idea. I wanted a flagpole and um, obsessed over it until you know I I found the guys who at West Point, who's third generation puts all is in charge of all the flagpoles at West Point and for the military. I had to have that guy special flagpole in my yard. So, you know, it goes from there. So yeah, balance in the sense of like, just, you know, even keel and just, you know, <laughs> well hey i'm glad that at least you're not obsessing over the stuff we used to do that would have killed us you know this is true this is true though i used to cop multiple times right because the ritual of copping was you know the i used to have the letdown of copping so you know i'd go around the block 10 times you know how i never got busted or shot or whatever but um yeah no i'm, I'm happy to be obsessing over a flagpole at this point <laughs> <laughs> what about you jack uh a superpower uh, yeah. uh something like an adversity eraser that's what i <laughs> wish i had uh you know not only for myself to get rid of this horrible disease of diabetes that you know they say one out of three are gonna have right. it you know in a few years you know it's just it's tough day to day you know deal, dealing with it um but uh you know we have our tools to, to yeah. persevere. Um, but, you know, with so many kids that we're uh, working with and they all have these different adversities. So in, in a small way, maybe road recovery or a little nonprofit can be that adversary, uh, adversity eraser. Um, but uh, that, that'd be great to just snap your finger and do it. But as we know, you know, it takes uh, one day at a time, yeah. potentially uh, years you know, yeah. to overcome it. And uh, what's what's wonderful about being around 25 years at Road Recovery is those kids from those first five, 10 years, you know, they're they're all grown up, you know, they got married, they have jobs paying a lot more than what we make. <laughs> very happy, you know, yeah. and uh, you can see it, social media and all that. So that that's the gift to me, you know, being able to live long enough to see what happens with all these earlier generations. It just keeps going. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I leave you with the final thoughts. The floor is yours. Anything you want to lend, you know, advice to people, maybe if someone's just out there struggling, if you were talking directly to them. 
yeah, that if you stay alive, we tell the kids this, stay alive, there's hope. If you're dead, there's no hope. And we believe in the power of we that, you know, together we can accomplish to do anything together, you know, and there's solutions out there. And all you got to do is put your hand up and just say, I need help. And it'll come. It'll come. And thank you, Jason, for this, because, you know, this is this is a beautiful gift for us, uh, what you're doing. And this is a big help for us. So thank Absolutely. you. Thank you yeah, for, thank you. Knocking doors down. Great <laughs> for us. What a theme. <laughs> My pleasure, gentlemen. It's been a real honor. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.